Welcome to Ability Stories Podcast, where we discuss the successes, challenges, and stories of people with disabilities. I'm your host, Tara Briggs. To contact me, please send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. Welcome to Ability Stories. I'm Tara Briggs, and my guest today is Maria Johnson. Maria lost her sight at 50 from, what did you lose your sight from? I lost it from LHON, or Labor's Hereditary Optic Neuropathy. And she writes a blog called, remind me of the blog name, it's totally just escaped me. <laughs> Girl Gone Blind. Thank you. Girl Gone You're Blind. <laughs> and um, we're going to talk about her story and her blog and um, talk a little bit about your most recent blog entry that, that caused quite, quite a ruckus in the blind community. We, we talked for about two and a half hours yesterday. No, it was the day before yesterday. And it was just mm-hmm. a really fantastic conversation. And so hopefully we can duplicate um, some of that here. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Thank oh. you so much. Well, thank you for reaching out. I appreciate it. And I am excited to be on there too. And I, I second that um, our conversation the other day was great. And as you said, we should have the record button on. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> so, so here we go. Um, All right. So the first thing I, I like to ask people who are adventitiously disabled, so you um, became disabled later in life, is mm-hmm. what did you think of people with disabilities or especially in your case, blind people? Well, I didn't know any blind people when I became blind. Um, I, I just, you know, I may have seen one person with a white cane in my community, but um, I kind of looked and thought, oh, it's a blind person. And I went on my merry way. I, I They were walking with somebody. I didn't, again, it, it just... I didn't pay it any attention, really. Um, You know, as far as other disabled people, um, you know, we do have the paratransit here in San Diego. And I would be driving my car by the paratransit, um, stopped, and I would see a couple of folks who, you know, clearly had some, maybe some mental challenges, um, disabilities. And I thought, honestly, I thought, how cool. They're actually getting onto the bus independently and they're going off to whatever they're going off to do run errands go to a job whatever it was and I would drive by because I was on the way to take my kids to school and again that was the quick flash thought I had because you know struggling in different things in life I know that it's like you know what if you can push through that struggle you know what stronger than ever and these people are not letting things get in their way and the person that I saw that was blind I just thought oh somebody that's blind yeah you don't see it every day or at least in my community but now you do I didn't (laughs) huh oh I was just joking I said now you do what you say now you do see a blind person every day (laughs) yes I do (laughs) good one good one no good one yeah you're that's true that's very true and I, I say to my friends you know um I didn't know any blind people until Till I came along. And my friends, a lot of my friends just like, we didn't know any blind people till, till you went blind. And so I, um, again, I don't, you know, I don't know why or what, but what I have found, Tara, is that by taking the paratransit as I do now, there are a handful 
full of blind people in my community. I just, I guess I just never ran into them or realized or they didn't have a cane out or, you know, or something. So I've actually got to meet a few really nice people in the community that, um, you know, I've traveled the bus with and I'm like, you live like two blocks from my house. What's your name? You know? Right. And, um, I'm always the one jumping on them. Cause I'm thinking that's so cool. Like, I mean, even to the point where it's like, let's get together. Let's go have coffee. Let's talk. So, you know, I'm just that kind of person. I'm kind of extroverted, you know, shocker to people who know me, but I am. <laughs> so talk about, talk about, um, your diagnosis, a little bit about your diagnosis and, and what happened. It was April, 2013. And I, again, I was, um, I'm a group fitness instructor. I was running a boot camp, um, running my kids everywhere. They were teenagers at the time. Um, I was volunteering at school. I was doing, you know, tons of stuff, working, being the mom, you know, doing the whole thing. And, um, I noticed a blurry spot in one of my eyes, um, my right eye. And I kept thinking it was my sunglasses or the windshield or something was, you know, dirty, you know, and I thought, well, maybe I need new contacts. So about a month went by because I was busy, like, can't be bothered with anything going on with me. I just need to keep plugging along. And it just, I finally realized it wasn't going away. So I went to my local optometrist who couldn't see anything wrong with my eyes. He just, he thought maybe there was some swelling in, you know, behind the retina or something like that. But he's like, I, I don't see anything wrong. You need to go to an ophthalmologist. So uh, after a few weeks getting to the ophthalmologist, um, he looked, I don't see anything wrong with your eye, um, ran me through all the gamut of tests that they do. Um, I went for, you know, they die in my eyes. Um, I had MRIs, MRAs, because then he told me you may have a brain tumor and that may be causing pressure on your optic nerve. So that might be the problem. And I'm like, Oh, you know, of course I'm like going, what? Oh my God. Oh my God. And when all of those came back as nothing's wrong with your eye and you don't have a brain tumor, which was, you know, good news, bad news. I still didn't know why I was rapidly losing some vision in my right eye. And I remember him saying, there's nothing more I can really do for you. I'll have to refer you to a neuro ophthalmologist. And I looked at him and I said, do you think I'm, I'm going blind? And he said, well, I don't really know, but it seems that you are losing vision in that one eye. And I don't know why. And it, and it was basically, don't let the door, you know, hit you on the backside when you leave. And I was like, oh, I, I mean, I left, I, I drove home crying because I was so, I started to get real scared at this point. And this is now in, um, this is now at the end of July. I'm still 2013. I'm, you know, I'm still teaching. I'm still doing all the things, but inside I am getting really frightened. And so I got the referral to the neuro-ophthalmologist and I, the referral appointment date was two months away, eight weeks. And I knew I don't have that much time. Something else. I, I don't have that much time. Something's going on and I'm getting nervous, <laughs> real nervous. But at the same time, I always was stuffing it aside going, nope, I got things to do. I'm a busy mom. I'm an instructor. I own a business. I got things to do. I got to shop. I got to pick up my kids. I can't be bothered with this little thing going on with me. So I always downplayed it. I, you know, my left eye was compensating and I downplayed it. So I ended up calling a local, um, it's called the Shiley Eye Center. It's hooked up to uh, 
UC San Diego. And I'm, we actually went there because I could get into an appointment there in three days. And I was willing to pay out of pocket to have somebody look into my eyes and see what's, try to see what's going on. So I did that. And I went in knowing I was going to be shelling out a lot of money, but at this point, we were kind of desperate. And he looked into my eyes. He had a bunch of fellows working with him, residents, and they all looked in my eyes. He started saying a bunch of um, uh, medical terms I didn't understand. And he said, I'm not going to run you through any, any more tests. And I'm like, okay, so what's going, so you must know what's going on. And he said, I'm going to make a phone call for you. And it was, I'm like, okay. So he ended up calling my doctor who I have now, who he happened to be buddies with. And he said, I have a patient of yours who hasn't seen you yet, but you need to see her tomorrow. She's down to counting fingers on one eye and the other eye is starting to show a blur. And he, and so he hangs up and he goes, I just talked to your doctor. They'll be calling you today and you will be getting in, you know, with few days and I was like okay I walked out of there a couple hundred bucks out of my pocket and I had an appointment within three days compared to eight weeks with my actual doctor so but he never told me he, he didn't tell me anything he wrote some notes and said take this to your doctor so I again now it's now it's the end of August and I finally get in to see him in September and um He's the one that actually diagnosed me after many more blood tests, MRIs, spinal tap, um, steroid, intravenous steroid treatments, you know, um, taking, you know, not only intravenous, but then taking them orally, um, again, trying to figure out what's going on. But the last test he actually performed was a DNA test, a mitochondrial DNA test, which he didn't think was going to be positive. Um, and it was for Labor's hereditary optic neuropathy, which is a mitochondrial disease. It's a mutation in your mitochondria, and it causes central vision loss. Normally, it affects males from the ages of uh, like around 18 to 30. Um, so me being now a 50-year-old woman was kind of out of the box. But he says, I'm not counting anything out. Well, that test came back positive. And then I got the call at home and he told me, you know, you tested positive for the DNA mutation, um, 11778, and you, you know, you have LHON and I'm so sorry you have this. There's no treatment, no cure. And how old are your children? And I said, they're 14 and 19. And he said, you need to look this up. You need to read about it. I'll call you in a couple days, but take some time and, you know, get some, you know, read up on this. And I hung up and went, wow, okay, finally, September 23rd, started in April, I had a diagnosis. But it didn't sink in for a while, Tara. It, it really didn't. And um, why he asked me how old my kids were is because it's genetic. And I've passed the mutation to my children. It's, a, it's passed down the maternal line, um, which means they have, um, a, a, they're at risk of also having this randomly trigger in them as well anytime in their life. So, you know, that was you know, that's my journey up into diagnosis. Um, and then from there it, you know, it, the land, it was the landslide, <laughs> the, the LHO and landslide, as I call it, where I just, 
you know, the rug got pulled out from underneath me really, really hard. So I want to talk about a couple things. When you, um, it seems like when you lose your sight, there's two things that people are probably struggling with. One is how in the world am I going to do a long list of stuff? And the other one is just the emotional, um, how are you going to adjust to this totally new life? Talk about how you did that. Well, the emotional part was, you know, obviously it was, you know, pretty traumatic. I was pretty devastated. Um, as you know, within about a month and a half after I was diagnosed, I, you know, drove my car for the last time, you know, kind of had a, I got out of the car and I knew that was the last time. <laughs> it probably was actually, it shouldn't have, my last time should have been probably a week or two before that, but I kind of, I needed to have my last time. I needed that. And, um, you know, within a couple of days I was deemed legally blind, um, and, you know, hung up the keys and, and that was it. And that was in November. And, um, you know, that was a, that just was, it was just adding up, you know, little things were just starting to add up because my vision loss was declining pretty dramatically, you know, not only day to day, week to week, it was getting worse. And, um, I, because I was not, you know, I'm, you know, I had no blind friends. I didn't know how a blind person lived. I mean, I just didn't know and I wasn't exposed to it. And so emotionally I struggled really, really hard with how was I going to live, you know, in this new blind world? How was I going to be a good mom? How was I going to get my kids places? How was I going to, how was I going to live to the next day? How was I going to get to teach my classes? How was I going to run a boot camp? How was I going to cook? How was, you know, all these things. And those swirling around in my mind were, you know, really took me down. And I would, you know, sticking with the emotional side here, I would kind of go into a zombie state. And again, in disbelief, shock, a lot of denial, and I thought, you know, maybe it would be better if I just checked out because I don't think I can do this. I just don't know how I can, can live the rest of my life like this. Again, I didn't know anything about living a blind life. And, you know, when you leave a doctor's office, I love my doctor. He's the best, best chairside manner ever. But you are pushed out of the office saying you're legally blind don't let a car hit you in the parking lot, <laughs> you know, and you are, I mean, a lot of times, and I've heard really, you know, very similar stories um, from other folks, but, and my big thing is I've told my doctor and I've, I've even drafted it, but I said, you need to hand somebody when you give them that diagnosis or, or, you know, their vision is where it's going to be and they're legally blind. You need to hand them some resources. Don't just say you need genetic counseling. You need this, you need that you know, give them the resources to the different organizations and, and um, yeah. schools or whatever. And maybe they're not going to look at it that day or maybe in a month, but maybe in two months they'll open it up and realize maybe I need to contact some of these places or a spouse or a friend will contact for them um, so they can get started on the road of rehabilitation. I did not even know about our rehabilitation services here in California for like, a year. Like, nobody told me. 
They go, don't you have a DOR counselor? I'm all, what's DOR, Department of Rehab? I go, I, no, what's that? Like, I was so lost, Tara. I really was. And meanwhile, I am trying to keep everything as normal as possible for my family, for my friends. Um, but inside, I was just absolutely devastated. So I, you know, I think that would be so helpful because, uh, you know, laying there thinking there's no hope. What am I going to do? I don't know who to turn to. I don't know where to go. Luckily, I was smart. You know, there was a little voice in my head that said, you can't leave your kids. You absolutely can't leave your kids. And I never would leave, want to leave my kids, but the feelings were so strong. And I, you know, some in that voice just said, you know, get up and deal with this. And I, I call it, I wrote a blog, you know, that incorporated some of this. My devastation was my motivation to get up and do something about it. You know, instead of laying there, get up and figure something out. Figure out, you know, make a call, figure something out and get the mental help that you need. Because clearly I needed that mental help. I was absolutely spinning the drain and I was just waiting to go down. So, um, which is so not the person that I was, but I, you know, Tara, I truly felt lost, absolutely lost. I think one thing, um, when you grow up blind or with a disability, um, it just ends up affecting so much of your life and what you do. As a blind person, I read differently than the majority of the population. I use a computer differently than the majority of the population. I use the iPhone differently than the majority of the population. I even walk <laughs> differently than the majority of the population because I use a seeing eye dog and most of them don't. So, um, I mean, I cook differently. You know, you, the, the things that you pay attention to when you're cooking are, are different when you are um blind and so and so I think it must have just been really hard that you didn't have access to here's how you do it and then and then like you said you have you have an emotional aspect of it which is your life is just going to be different so talk talk about talk about oh go ahead yes your life's going to be different and it's it's kind of the fear of the unknown you absolutely, you know, I had no idea how far my vision was going to go as far as deteriorating. Um, I had an idea, but, you know, I didn't know. And um, meanwhile, I'm losing color vision. All these things are happening I wasn't aware of. And, um, and you know, it was little things that I, I kind of thought I could keep doing. Little things. I tried to write a thank you note, and I, I couldn't seem to write it. And I was just, it just, <laughs> just that little thing. It was it was so hard, and because it was something I could do in five minutes, and now I couldn't even I couldn't see the lines that I was writing. You know, I couldn't see that I was writing them in a straight line. I couldn't see the word I was writing. I was like, I can't believe I can't write a thank you note. It was so such a little thing, but it was huge yeah. in my mind, right? Huge. So anyway, go ahead. That's just one little thing. I was you know to example of oh no different. I, I was just thinking that that when you. When you are grieving something, sometimes it's just the little things that send you over the edge. Yes. I remember when we talked, you talked about two things that were really helpful to you. One was you ended up finding the right therapist, which I think you uh, saw a few people before you found one that really clicked with you and understood what you're going through. So talk, talk a little bit about that. Yes, yes, because um, when I left that doctor's office that one day um, that, you know, it was, okay, you're legally blind, um, go out to the world and do great things, um, don't worry, you will, and, you know, and I'm like, no way, how can I? Um, 
uh, he said, you're, you're probably a good idea to talk to a you know, psychologist, a therapist. And I was like, well, yeah. So I, uh, I made some appointments with just, you know, uh, the therapist, you know, in my medical group and I went in and I, I, I didn't know how to grieve my vision. Um, I was going through the grieving process, but not really knowing that I was going through it. And it seemed like the more I explained what was going on with me to this therapist who, mind you, was like 22, fresh out of school or something, um, she was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, do you want some tissues? Because <laughs> I'm crying. And I'm like, okay, I'm yeah. sorry for laughing. I'm sure it wasn't funny at the time. No, but but I can laugh about it now. I'm thinking, like, really? That's the best you could do for me at that moment? Um, and then I, I would say, like, well, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. And I don't know. Am I, I, I'm trying to think, think I, I'm trying to do the right thing. I mean, here I was. I was 50. So it's not, you know, I had a lot of life experience. I, um, you know, it's, you know, mature. And, um, but I've never felt like such a broken down child as I did, you know, going into this, you know, into this another world. And she goes, so I said, so I don't know what else she goes. Well, it sounds like you're doing everything right. I'm all, uh, well, what, I mean, I mean, I don't know how to handle this. And she goes, well, you know, it's like grieving a puppy. You know, you just, you know, what? (laughs) I mean, it was so ridiculous, Tara. I left there and I thought, okay, I'm going to give her one more shot because, you know, I'm always, hey, I'm willing to give someone another shot. So I did book an appointment, paid more money to go sit with this girl and had the exact same experience. And I left and my husband goes, so do we need to book an appointment? I said, no way. I am not wasting my money. This was ridiculous. I can do this. I got this. This is ridiculous. No one knows what to do with me. I'm going to do this on myself because I'm strong. I'm a superhero mom. I got this. So I never went back. So a few months go by and it was one particular day that triggered my, you know, my tears and, and the layers were starting to peel away again. And it was some, a friend of mine was talking about going traveling and, and talked about some other friends who were over in Europe and how great. And I I just started sobbing. I thought, wow, how traveling? Why would I even travel anywhere? I can't see Mm. anything. What's the point? Again, I didn't know. I didn't know. And I'm thinking like, I'll never get to see the castles of Scotland and the, you know, the ruins in Ireland or the whatever. And I'm like, I just sobbed and I'm like, I can't, again, I was still in that. I can't believe this is my life now. This, this wasn't how it was supposed to go. This wasn't how it was supposed to be. I, you know, again, it was, those are bad places to be, you know, mentally. So I did call another organization uh, down here called um, the San Diego Center for the Blind, and they did have counseling services there, group therapy and counseling, as well as, you know, the independent living skills and the whole program you can go through. So, but I knew I needed to get my head wrapped around this whole thing before I could even go to a, a, a a living skills class or maybe an enrichment class. Um, what do you, I, I had to get my head wrapped around this. What do you mean by so getting your that, what do you mean by getting your head wrapped around it? I think what I getting my head wrapped around it is that I needed to finally just go, okay, this is it. I'm okay and I'm gonna make this work and get to the point where I say I'm ready to take on the tasks of learning mm. the way I'm going to you know, work and, and live in this new, different life that I now have. 
because basically I just relearn pretty much, you know, I, you know, a lot of things. I'm not going to yeah. say everything. Quite a, a bit lot of things. Like, yeah, quite a bit. Like you said, <laughs> how do I read? How do I use my phone? How do I use my computer? Um, you know, how do I cook safely? Um, you know, how do I know where the, um, you know, the, the buttons are on the microwave and the, in the oven. I didn't know what a bump dot was. I'm, no, I didn't know. Um, you know, and those are the, those are all those things that you learn when you finally decide it's time. I'm ready to put myself into the, the learning mode and get on with this life. And because not only that for me, for folks, you know, losing vision at a later age, you're then emerging yourself into the blind community and you know, you're having to, you're now surrounding yourself with, with people that you never wanted to surround yourself with. And I don't, I'm not saying that derogatorily at all. Um, I mean, that would be anybody, somebody diagnosed with cancer and all of a sudden they're going to a cancer support group. Do you think they ever wanted to be there? No, but you know what? I was glad I was there. I was so glad I was there to be in a group support. I was glad I was there learning cooking. I met some fantastic people that I'm still friends with, you know, that we still talk on the phone and stuff. But the the counseling and the group therapy helped me come to grips with where I was, where I needed to be, and what those benefits were going to be when I learned the skills that I needed to learn. Uh, you know, using the white cane, learning how to use the computer differently, learning how, you know, again, I didn't even know about voiceover. I mean, I mean, that's how stuck I was. This day and age with the technology, man, am I thankful. Um, I know it was very difficult for, for folks who were, um, you know, blind since birth, you know, 40 years ago, 56 years ago, even 20 years ago, life was much different for those with visual impairment. So um, learning all those things. So again, I had to get my brain to the point where I was like, okay, Maria, this is where you're at this is where you need to go and you need, you have to go to do these things, but I needed to get stronger mentally before I could do it. And that's just me. That's just my personality. Um, I was super independent. What before this happened, I mean, you know, free, you know, free to go where I want to do what I want, you know, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you're not, and you have to rebuild, you know, the broken pieces. And I, I, I was crumbled all over the floor. Trust me. I mean, there were there were puzzle pieces everywhere, and I had to rebuild that puzzle um, that had fallen off the table, you know. And I had I've been rebuilding it piece by piece by piece. And every piece that fits kind of goes, okay, that kind of works. Cool. All right. Um, let's find the next piece that you know that you know, crumbled off of me and, and see how I can put that back together. And, you know, problem solving, um, planning, you know, all those things that come with it. We all have those, you know, I had those skills before and most, I would hope most sighted people did, but you got to really put them into action now. I needed to get mentally right because I did, I did get slammed sideways with this and it happened so quickly. I, the whole time I had no idea what was going on. And then all of a sudden I did. And by that point I, I had no time to even take it in at all. So uh, that's kind of what I mean by getting my head right. Um, I just had to be at the right place to be able to move forward. So I remember um, you're telling me if it's, if it's not too personal to talk about that you had um, 
that you the therapist that you ended up finding that you really found was helpful she was also disabled she used a wheelchair and there was this really poignant session um where um you made a comment and she she talked to you about it and it really helped you turn around do you do you, do you want to talk about that do you remember when yeah. I do. I remember because again, it won't be something I'll really ever forget. Um, yeah, the the therapist that I finally found that I connected with and was with her for well until she left the Center for the Blind, um, probably about nine ten months. Um, I would go in and you know, as anybody who listens to this knows, a therapy session can be amazing and you walk out like happier than ever, and it can also be one that you leave you know in tears because you really got down to some nitty gritty, and I. This particular session I was really struggling with, you know, I felt like I was really letting my kid down and, you know, that I was, you know, I wasn't being, I, I just wasn't being the mom I wanted to be for them. And because I, I was still trying to deal with my struggle and I had a, again, a 14 year old daughter just starting high school. So that's already hard. Um, my son was 19, a sophomore in college. Um, you know, he's trying to do his thing. And meanwhile, you know, you know, mom's losing vision or, you know, mom's trying to deal with her life. So, but I really felt, you know, I just really felt I, I was losing grips on my kids. And my therapist said, I'm going to tell you one thing. She said, my, she said her mom had passed away from cancer several years prior. And, you know, as, as my conversation was getting lower and lower and I was just really to the point where I was like, I don't know if I can go on and I'm just, I'm ruining everything. Um, she said, I would do anything to have my mom back with cancer than to not have her here at all. And I'm telling you right now, your kids would rather have a blind mom than no mom at all. And I, that to me was so powerful. And I thought, she's right. She's absolutely right. You know what? I can't, I knew I couldn't leave my kids, but that little voice could get really loud sometimes that say, it's not worth it. Um, but I knew I couldn't. And I thought, you know, I'm going to be a good blind mom. <laughs> you know, I'm, I, I can do it. I can do it. And I don't want to leave my kids. I don't. And that was a big statement for me. And I have used that statement to other moms who were new into the group therapy that I was in. They would come in and they're, you know, they would just be devastated and down and out and having trouble with the kids. And I've used that phrase. And I, I don't, I should have given her, I should have given my therapist more credit, but I use that phrase and it has helped several other moms who lost vision I don't care what age, um, to know, I said, you're, you know, your kids want you here. They want you here. And, you know, they don't want to see you suffer, but they want you here. Nobody doesn't, nobody wants their mom to go away. And, and, you know, so no matter what, no matter your shape or size or vision or whatever, children want their moms and, um, they always will. And so that was a really big, big, um, statement. And I hope if anyone's listening that, you know, has had those crazy thoughts of it's not worth it and your kids, you know, you know, don't think that they, for one minute, don't want their mom around blind or not because they do. They really, really do. Because there's more to being a mom than just not being able to drive them to their friend's house. And I have learned that very quickly. Yeah. So I think, I think that's where, I think that's where you and other people who are moms who are losing their sight 
I think probably some of your self-worth and your worth as a parent is in this list of stuff that I do for you because you're my kid and I love you. And all of a sudden, I can't do some of those things. Right, right, and, and, right. And, and I think that was where, so that, that's, that's where you struggled. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I struggled because, you know, I, again, I'd been a parent for 19 years and, you know, um, I, you know, again, being in a very visual sighted world um, and having the opportunities, um, you know, that I know as, as somebody born blind doesn't have, but, you know, having opportunities to do a lot of things. Um, you and I talked about you were in marching band in high school um, and you're still very passionate about your, your instrument. My, both my kids were in marching band and I was a band mom. And, um, and you know, Tara, that that's a lot of work. And I, I, when my son joined the band uh, when he was a freshman, um, I stepped in right away and I got involved immediately because I wanted to, well, one, I wanted to know who these kids were because that's we want to know who our kids' friends are. But, you know, I wanted to be a part of it. I thought it was so, it was an amazing program. And for five years, I was the uniform chair. And that, the uniform chair is the person that oversees all the uniforms for the band kids. It, you take care of alterations, you know, um, you know, hemming and fittings and making sure they're all good and, you know, very visual, I must add, very visual. Kids come up to you, you know, Miss Johnson, I, this isn't working right. Can you look at, you know, and you're fixing stuff, you know, at the fly. And it's a very rewarding position because those kids just, you know, the kids just love the parents that help. Okay, great. Well, I stepped down from that position, oddly enough, um, at the end of 2012, going into 2013, and I don't know what was telling me time was over, but I started losing my vision just several months after I stepped down from the position. But I'll tell you what, I still was involved. I still went to all of the competitions. I still went to practices um, because I knew that was that was something I was going to do for my kid. I was going to be there to support them. Now, and I put my vision issues aside. I wasn't going to let that get in the way of me being there for my kids. Because as, you know, as the vision struggles were going, you know, my kids did step in and help support me as well. And you know what? It's give and take as a parent. And um, as Tara, as your kids get older, and now now they're young, I know, and it's a lot of like give, give, give. But you know, as they you know get older, um, you know more than you know they they love you and all this stuff. But you know, you know, there's much more. There's so many more things that you'll be doing together, and um, it's really really special. And I didn't want to let my vision get in the way of the special times. And I want my kids to know. My mom was going through the struggle, but you know what? She was still there. She was still there. And that was really motivating for me. I still wanted to be the same mom that I was. And I think that might have been the struggle, Tara. I wanted to be the same mom. And I didn't know how I was going to be the same mom. I didn't know how. So, so before, you know, before, we, before we jump into some of your stories, because I, I, you talk, we talked about different ways that you found to do that. I wanted to ask you about um were there well there was this one training experience you had that was was ended up being really confident building um you got totally lost with a a blind (laughs) friend tell talk about that story yes with my blind friend um I I became really really good friends with and you know he calls himself blind guy Chris okay um he was he was in a well 
he was in a horrifying um, incident that actually caused him to lose his vision. He was actually attacked by a very upset border patrol agent and he was attacked by two hatchets and it was a mistaken identity this border patrol agent went into to kill his ex-wife and her boyfriend and he went into the wrong bedroom and actually attacked my friend now I wasn't his friend then but I remember the story very well here in San Diego um it was horrifying and he has lived to tell about it and um he has been a big inspiration to me here's to somebody who um you know died three times on the table and had to talk about rehabilitation he had to learn to do everything again and the reason he's blind is that one of the hatchets went to the back of the head and and severed his visual cortex back there Mm -hmm. so you know it it's pretty much unrepairable that you know they all told him it's really not going to ever come back so he um he lives on his own He um, gets around with a white cane. He's got the best attitude because you never know what will happen tomorrow. And he is the living epitome of that because he came home. He was a nurse. He came home, went to bed. This guy comes into his his room at 3 in the morning. And boom, life's – talk about life-changing. I mean, completely. So – This guy, Blind Guy Chris, who I met at the Braille Institute, which is another organization here that I attend um, every week, um, he decided he wanted to go to P.F. Chang's um, restaurant chain. We all love it. Tara and I both talked. We love it. He wanted to go to P.F. Chang's for lunch. Well, the P.F. Chang's was right next in front of the Braille, just around the corner, around the block. And again, being when I didn't pay any attention to this stuff... I would drive by P.F. Chang's. I would drive into P.F. Chang's, give the valet my car keys, and I'd go and have lunch, dinner, whatever. I've never walked there. And I didn't even know the Braille Institute was behind it until I actually had to go there. So, you know, a lot of learning, a lot of learning. So he decides we're going to go to to lunch. And I'm like, are you sure? Have you been there? Oh, I've walked there a bunch of times with with other people. We got this. I I know how to get there. (sighs) I'm like, okay. So we kind of check out. We're going off campus, you know. And um, we go and he goes, okay, we go left. And I'm walking. But I am... I've got a state of anxiety going that, you know, is, is, uh, you know, getting to level 10 pretty quick because I'm now out where I have, I have not been, I have not walked anywhere with somebody who wasn't sighted. And so this was like two years ago. Um, and I'm relying on somebody who's totally blind and swears he knows how to get there. So, and I've been there many times. I go, Oh, well, we'll get there. So anyway, long story short, because it's long, we turn the corner, turn the corner, turn the corner, and I'm like, where is it? Where is it? And he goes, well, it was this open. Anyway, we're totally lost. We haven't crossed. We now, mind you, we haven't crossed a street. We're on the same block, but we're totally lost. <laughs> and I'm like, I, we can smell the P.F. Chang. I can smell it. But, you know, I'm not, I wasn't that good where I could just, you know, follow my nose at this point. <laughs> so finally. Finally, there's some some gentlemen, you know, on on their corporate lunch. I can hear them coming, and I'm like, "Excuse me, excuse me." Um, and here we are. We have two people here with canes, and we're like, "Is P.F. Chang's close by?" They're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You just need to go back over there and over there." I'm like, "Um, yeah, over there." Uh, and they go, "Okay, keep walking straight, and there's it's the next driveway, you know, something like that." I'm like, "Okay, yeah, thanks, thanks, okay." So they go walking by. Then within five minutes. We hear this horrific car crash, and we're we're walking, you know, along a, a pretty busy street. You know, we're on the sidewalk, but and 
I'm like, oh my God, there's a car crash. You know, again, there goes the anxiety level. And he goes, it's okay. It's cool. It's fine. But I have a feeling they might have been looking at two people walking with white <laughs> canes. We, we obviously, we might, have, we might have looked like we had no idea what we were doing or something. I don't know. But I think somebody must have rear-ended somebody. I don't know. I couldn't tell. Couldn't see. But I was, but again, the sound of a car crash, oh my gosh, that's uh, that'll send chills down your spine. So we, we end up getting into the P.K. of Chang's driveway and I'm like, but there's, I know there's a valet and I know this and I'm, I'm picturing what it looked like before, you know, before finally the valet guy comes over to us and says, do you guys, do you, would you like some help? And we're like, we're trying to get to PF Chang's. He goes, Oh, I'm the valet. Come, you know, let me help you. And he helped us get to the front door. Anyway, longest trip to PF Chang's. So we eat PF Chang's. It's all great and fine. And the whole time I'm eating lunch, Tara, I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, we've got to find our way home. <laughs> and I, I almost could not enjoy my lunch because I'm thinking we got to go back. So we, we we end up getting back again. Another long story, but we we end up getting back towards the Braille, and I'm I think I've got this down. I'm like, okay, it's two driveways, but I'm not sure because I wasn't really paying attention. I was just trying to go by what he was saying, my friend. So we get to a point where I'm like, I don't know where we are. I don't know where we are. And I didn't know about blind square apps or anything like that at the time. And he goes, well, let's just ask somebody. I go, there's nobody around. I'm like, you know, again, I felt like I was that, that five-year-old lost in the department store. I was like, and I'm 50 years old. I'm 51 or two at this point. I'm like, I cannot believe I am lost. So finally somebody comes walking down the street. I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. Can you tell, can you tell us where the Braille Institute is? You know, I think we're close. She goes, oh, well, yeah, you're about 10 feet from the driveway. Just need to turn around and, you know, you're about 10 feet. I'm all, oh, really? <laughs> we have stood there, Tara, for 20 minutes going, we're lost, we're lost. Oh, no. And I'm like, and we were 10 feet from the driveway. So, yeah, orientation mobility training, you know, didn't help me so much with that whole incident. But what I did learn was I did it. I got out of my comfort zone. Uh, I was fine. You know, anxiety a little high, but I was fine. But here's the thing that I did learn, Tara, is that I need to pay attention to the landmarks that I walk by. And whether it's a, um, I see contrast pretty well, but everything's pretty blurry and grainy and I have no central vision. Um, and I, we walked by a bus stop. Okay, make note, Maria, you walked by a bus stop. And then we turned left. Okay, okay. You know, you you get what I'm saying. I I wasn't paying attention to any of that, to the the, the height of a wall or maybe um, I don't know, uh, like a electrical box, whatever it is. I need to make note that I am passing those things because that's like leaving the you know the breadcrumbs. And but I didn't. So when we were walking back, I really I didn't pay attention to how we even got there because I wasn't used to doing that and so I had to learn to become hyper aware of those little landmarks um sewer you know the pot the you know those things in the road it's like covers the sewer lines um whatever it was I had to learn like Maria that's what you need to do you can't rely on the very little vision you still have because I keep thinking I can but I can't um and I need to I I need to really take in more information when I'm out and about. So that trip, and by the way, we did do one more and we were a little bit better at it, not perfect, but that trip taught me more than 
what I learned in some of the classes I've taken. Um, and this blind guy, Chris, he has pushed me out of my comfort zone more times. And I am so thankful for that because I wouldn't have done half the stuff I've done unless it wasn't somebody who was living the life and had for seven years. And he's, you know, took me by the hand and said, come on, we're going to go do this. And I'm like, oh, no, we're not. He goes, yes, we are. And because I like to have a good time and I like to have fun and he's a fun guy, I did it. I would go. And um, I was always glad I did. During it, I wasn't sure, Tara, because I was like so scared sometimes. But I was really glad that I did. And it each time you do that, each time I get one of those under my belt, I get a little more confident that, you know what? Nailed it. I you know what? I can do that. I can do that. And I'm okay. I'm okay. So, yeah, it's these little life experiences um, in, you know, living um, blind um, reinforce my confidence level all the time. A trip to the bank by myself, you know, and then walking down two doors down to Starbucks to treat myself to a coffee. Places I've been a thousand times cited. Um, and then getting home, you know, using other transportation and getting home and being so darn proud of myself for something so simple. And, but I didn't, I mean, the feelings are very overwhelming that, I mean, it's, again, I know it's, it's, it's relearning, it's relearning and having the courage to put yourself out there when you can't see very well, is it's really you know it's you have to do it but it's so scary it's really really scary and um but the more you do it you know you kind of conquer that fear of the unknown as i said before um you know going to the bank by myself i know the tellers i know where the bank is i know what it looks like but i was so scared to go by myself i mean well and one, one so thing i just saying it out loud it's true one thing that struck me about your story when we talked yesterday and again today is that um, the when I took travel, the most effective tr- time I did that was from a blind travel instructor. And so she had some vision, but she'd put a blindfold on. And so when we got lost, she was just as lost as all of us. Mm-hmm. And I remember going back to the center after a, for the blind. I was doing cross training. I went back to the center for the blind after class with her and we finally found our way she's like people you gotta listen where's the highway i'm like it's off to our left she's well let's go over there so anyway we <laughs> finally get back and i'm like deja where were we and she goes i i don't know i was wearing a blindfold just like you guys i'm like oh wow and yeah. so that yeah. kind of strikes me i guess being a little bit political but um that i think that'd be a really neat experience if you had been able to have it to have a, a blind travel instructor who who um did the whole thing without sight all the time because they there are yeah. we've got yeah. some here in the state and it's pretty yeah. cool well I, it just you leaves know, you, you with no excuses it well yeah and you told me about you know some of the uh, programs that you have um in utah there and i'm sitting here going that's what I need. Maybe I'm going to have to come to Utah today and just put me through the ringer, put me through the ropes here, you know, really give me some hardcore training because like I said, I had cited O&M instructors, really great gals, really nice. I mean, I'm friends with them and all of that, but I, I don't feel they were as 
they, they could have been a little more strict with me. I mean, if I said, oh, I don't want to do that, and they'd go, oh, okay, well, let's do something else today. Well, no, make me do that, you know, other thing, whatever it was. And, um, and I think that, um, and the other thing you had said is, you know, I said I had cooking class, and I had a little more sight than some of the other folks in class, so, you know, being the personality I am, I'd get my chopping done, and then I'd go help you know, the one next to me, you know, okay, yes, you got the scoop. Maybe we need one more scoop, you know, whatever it was. And you said, everybody, you know, we do it blindfold. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, and the, I, the idea being that I the vision that's a great that you, idea. Yeah. And the idea behind that is when somebody is like in your situation, well, it levels the playing field. And then when somebody's in your situation, um, the idea behind it is that then you know, you know when the vision will help and when it won't. Yes. And you know Very, that that's a good, that's good. Yeah, anyway, because I don't I'm mean to I'm, I'm always, I don't no, mean to go political on that. training always, center. No, 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 but I'm always judging. I'm always judging. Um, you know, even on my 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 out and about adventures, I'm always judging, you know. Can I see it? Can I not see it? Can I see it? Can I not see it? And if I just would go, Maria, pretend like you can't see it and figure it out or like in the cooking class, um, you know what? Here's the thing. Um, I may have LHON, which is affects the optic nerve, um, and I'll explain it. it LHON causes the optic nerve to dysfunction and and die the the nerve fibers. Mm-hmm. And if I get glaucoma or macular or something else, then that's going to be just another eye disease on top of what I already have. So knock on wood, I don't. But that's going to take away any existing vision that I might have. So having those trainings of, you know, total blindfolded would actually probably be very good because, you know, honestly, anybody who's got, you know, some partial sight, you might lose that partial sight at some time. I mean, I'm not saying everyone, but you might. And you need, you know, maybe you need to be prepared for that because I certainly wasn't prepared to lose the amount of vision I did lose. It'd be kind of nice to be prepared if I lose any more. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, no, I I have retinopathy prematurity, and I've lost some. I've lost vision compared to when I was a kid, and um, and I think there's just a part of that you just miss what you used to be able to see. When I was in college, I kicked all my roommates out uh, politely, but I kicked them out in 2006 so I could sit there with my head right against the TV screen and watch the figure skaters, and mm-hmm. I just I can't do it anymore. I just they're just blurs. I can't I can't see it, and that's yeah. been. So I think I think there is just that emotional aspect to to losing your sight is you just miss seeing things. Yeah, you know you do um, because I had the sight for so many years. You know I do miss a lot of those things. Um, I you know somebody and I don't think about this. I go, well, if you knew you were going blind, what would you have done differently? And well, oh, really, why would I even want to visit that? But I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have picked. I would have picked up every photo I had in this house of my children and family and I would have looked at them um clearly clearly um because nothing nothing will nothing's clear nothing's clear it's a blur you know the whole thing um but that's what I would have done but at the same time um you know do I miss seeing the sunset in full color and bloom and the whole thing sure sure I do do I miss seeing the ocean by standing on the beach and seeing the waves come in on that sure I do and I had a really other another moment that was really you know it'll stick in my mind. I was um, in La Jolla, which is a beautiful beach community here, and I was standing there and I could I, I was with a friend and I 
I, I said, I want to just stand here for a minute. They're like, why? I go, I could smell the ocean. I could feel the breeze off of the, off of the beach. And I could hear the waves crashing. And I go, I just, I just want a minute. Mm-hmm. Because, and I literally was welling up in tears going, I can't see it. But man, doesn't that sound beautiful? Yeah. And it was, you know, doesn't that sound gorgeous? My favorite quote and, by, a, by, a, by a friend of mine um, that I met at a camp for blind musicians. She was losing her sight as a teenager. And um, we were looking at it. I probably told the story on the podcast before, so sorry, everyone. <laughs> but we were looking at a jukebox. And you could feel that there were lights because you could feel where the heat would go on and go off. And mm-hmm. she said, the thing I like about becoming blind is I get to discover the world in a whole new way. Mm, yeah and I, I think that, I think that, that was that true. moment that you had at the ocean that was, was it was a moment it was a moment I was looking at the beach a different way um I was seeing the beach in a different way and you know speaking of music my children are both musicians as I already talked about in band uh, they both play the French horn and um they both have been you know in many many performances up on a stage and I've never, I prided myself in never missing one of my children's performances ever. Well, then this happened and yeah, they got a little rough. <laughs> it got a little rough. Um, and so now what I do is um, I go to my children's performances and um, if they're, you know, if they're far away or they're at the college or my son's in the wind symphony, um, I will call a friend and I will, I will say, hey, want to go on a date? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll say, hey, I'll buy you dinner if you drive me to my son's performance. It's free, but I'll buy you dinner. I, you know, I love my kids, and I'll do anything for them. And um, so I go, but I'll tell you what, I can't see the stage. Yeah. And it's so here's, again, it was a moment where I kind of went, and I don't know when the moment happened. I can't pin it. But I sat there, and I went, well, you just kind of have to enjoy the music. I wasn't distracted by all the kids in tuxedos and long black dresses and, oh, look at her hair and, oh, look at that big instrument. What's that called? Oh, look at the guy with the big tuba in the back. I wasn't thinking of any of that. I was concentrating on the music and when I could hear the French horn because then I knew that was my kid. And that's how I listened to a performance. It's all music now. And it actually, you know what, Tara? It sounds better. <laughs> it sounds so much better because <laughs> I'm not distracted. But I have to make that flip in my mind. I had to make the switch to audio from visual. I remember when we talked, you talked about continuing your job as a fitness instructor. So talk about talk about that and how you get there and how you do that. Because I'm sure that must have been, I'm sure that must be really healing that you're still able to do something that you love like that. Yeah, yeah. I've been a group fitness instructor for almost 15 years. And uh, before that, I was, you know, always at the gym, loved classes, things like that sort. So I took it to the next level. I was a stay-at-home mom. And I really wanted to pay more attention to my health. And and I needed to drop some pounds. And um, I needed to get out of the house, as you know, I know you've, we've talked about. And um, so I thought, well, you know, I always love being in the front row. Why not? Let, maybe I can be an instructor. And anyway, took the leap and became an instructor. And I've been, you know, I've been instructing. I got a class the following week. I became certified and I've been teaching that these same classes for all these years. So when I started 
when I started losing my vision, well, not knowing that's what really was happening, you know, I never stopped teaching my classes. I would show up to my classes with one dilated eye, one, you know, the other eye fine, or two dilated eyes, and, you know, I'd still teach, and they'd ask me, like, hey, what's going on? I go, I don't know. We're still figuring it out, and, but let's get going. Let's teach. Let's, let's do the thing I love to do, and let's just not think about the whole eye issue. And um, so... Months went on. Obviously, I came down to, I got diagnosed, still teaching. The only time I didn't teach class is when I went on the IV steroids and then oral steroids because um, the doctor just said the steroids can really mess with your muscles and he didn't you know, want anything to happen. So I did stop for like two weeks or three weeks. Um, and it was really hard. I, I, I felt it was getting taken away from me. Um, and I keep on reminding myself, no, I'll be going back. So I was diagnosed and I knew that my driving days were limited. I didn't know how but much, but I knew it was. And I, I said to my class, I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to teach these classes because I don't, I'm not going to have a way to get here. And I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not going to take a taxi, you know, five days a week and all that stuff. I just don't know how I'm going to get here. And I explained what had been going on. I explained my diagnosis. These are people I've known for a long, long time, the members. And they rallied around me and they just said, oh, stop that right now. I, when I left class that day, I had one student volunteer to pick me up and take me home for every class I taught. Hmm. So for the last three years, I've had the same people picking me up from home and bringing me back home for all the classes that I teach. And that person... Also, when we get to class, I have an iPhone that I run my music off of. I mean, excuse me, an iPod. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it's like the first iPod ever, ever that existed. It is so <laughs> old. But it works. So it's, 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 it's not in the accessible days, is it? it it's, no, it's <laughs> not accessible. It's not accessible. And it's cracked. And people are always like, oh, Maria, do you know your phone's cracked? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't see it anyway. It doesn't matter. It works, right? It works. I'm all for, you know, it works. So I, it doesn't have voiceover. It's not accessible at all. So the person that drives me know they have to be, we call them my DJ. So, and the stereo's on the other side of the room. So they work my iPod for me. I get, a, I tell them what's, you know, this is what we're doing today. You know, get the playlist, do all that stuff. And I just tell them if I need them to stop the music for any reason. So I always have a DJ. Um, I no longer can rely on any notes or anything. So it has made me become, I think, a stronger instructor as far as keeping all my choreography straight in my mind. Because now I have to teach an entire hour class in with notes in my head. Uh, everything's memorized. And then I have people who stand by the door... Because you can't, in a, for anyone who's out there that's listening that, that goes to group fitness or has in the past, there's nothing worse than people walking in 15 minutes late. Like, that's not allowed. So I actually have people at the door. I call them my sheriffs. And they, if people try and come in late, they tell them to leave because I can't see if anyone's coming in. So they, they, and you probably like, can't you hear know, them because everybody's so noisy at that point. It's loud. The music's going. I might hear the little bit of a door. Right. And, you know, sometimes it's just someone going out to get a drink of water. So I, I've learned I don't just start yelling at somebody, to, you know, because I don't know what they're doing. But I have people, I can hear them talking. And I kind of look that way just because I hear them talking. And then I'll hear the door again. And later I find out, sure enough, someone tried to come into the class late. Again, <laughs> policy. And they'll say, you can't stay, you can't stay. And I'm like, am I, the gym owner, who I've known for a long, long time, has 
you know, has seen, you know, what's happened with me. And I'll tell you, she is, has never once said, question my ability mm. to teach a class. Never. In fact, Tara, my classes have grown since I lost vision. I don't know what it is. Maybe I, my teaching styles change slightly. I'm, I'm more descriptive mm-hmm. because if I can't, if I'm not right up on somebody, I maybe can't see if they're doing, you know, a particular exercise just perfectly. Um, so I do walk around a lot more and I interact a lot more with students. So, um, but my classes are always full. Um, she has even, if I've, if I've gone to the gym, like someone had to just drop me off and they weren't coming to class, my owner will go, hey, do you need help getting to the room or anything? Like she, she offers to even assist me. And she has never once said, do you think this is a good idea? Do you, you know, are you sure you can do it? Beautiful. Never, never. Um, and I've always thought if I was, if I felt like I needed it or maybe they did, I would just get another instructor to team teach with me, which is really fun anyway. But <clears throat> she never has. She's been super supportive. Um, and again, I have people there that have my back. Um, I have you know, and these are all people that just said, I'll do this, I'll do this, I'll do this, and made it so easy me for me to transition into a blind fitness instructor. And honestly, most of the people that come into class who are new, who haven't been with me forever, they don't even know. Mm-hmm. And if they find out for whatever reason, um, like, can someone grab my weights? I can't see them on the floor. Or like, is my water bottle over there? Like, clearly, I should be able to see that. Right. Um, you know, or and someone asks, or, you know, if it comes up, they just kind of go, oh, my God, I would never have known. And I'm like, good, perfect, exactly. You know what? Because, you know, I'm like, because I'm a good instructor. Yeah, you want to be seen uh, as a fitness instructor first and a blind person second. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I do not want my blindness to get in the way because I pride on myself on doing a really, really good job in my fitness classes. And I probably work hard harder at it now than I ever have because of the little bit of changes that I've had to make to be able to keep doing something that I love that I did previous to my sight loss. And I thought if LHON gets in the way of me doing this, then LHON wins and I don't. And I was not going to let LHON take this away from me. I was going to make it work. Now, I did have to cut back on my classes because, you know, <laughs> I couldn't be all over San Diego, you know, five, six days a week. It, I mean, it was just going to be ridiculous, um, transportation-wise and everything. And I did, um, you know, kind of dissolve my boot camp with my partner, and I, I let her move on to do bigger and better things. You know, we're still really, really good friends, but it got to the point where, you know, I just, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't, you know, do a lot of things that needed to be done as a boot camp instructor. So, um, and she was doing a lot of stuff and I was like, this isn't fair to you and you're like doing everything and I can't really see the people and I can't see the tag on the floor that says what they're supposed to do. And it just was, I just finally had her over one day and just said, I, you know, a lot of tears. I said, I just think it's better if I just you know, cut loose here. And, um, and I told her, I'll cheer you on from, if you want to continue or you want to go on to do better, bigger things, I'll be right behind you cheering you on. I said, but I don't want to hold you back because of what I can't do right now. So, um, and I'm not sure if that the boot camp would be something I'd get back into at all. Um, you know, trying to well, you- see an agility, agility ladder on the floor is a little difficult, you know, and I, you, you 
might kind of need to see that maybe a little bit. But um, yeah, so I, I just made the decision and I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now. Thank you for joining us on Ability Stories. Please review this podcast in iTunes. To comment on this episode, please go to abilitystories.podbean.com. If you have any show ideas or would like to be a guest on Ability Stories, send an email to abilitystories at gmail.com. And thanks for listening.